Well, welcome to Media Insultant. This Thursday edition, we lead with the story of the Tribune Company being sold whimperingly, if that's such a word, <laughs> into the arms of the Alden Investment Group. And no matter what we say, no matter what we do, Ed Stoltz doesn't seem to go on to die. He's back in court again. Cumulus pulls out what were they thinking in New York City. So for Thursday, May 27th, going into our Memorial Day weekend, this is Media Insultant. Welcome back to Media Insultant. My co-host, Keith Samuels and I, Jackson Weaver, get together a couple times a week and we just kind of hash things out about what's going on in the media. And it can be any media, really. In fact, there's so much going on, it's kind of hard trying to decide what we want to do. So, Keith, how are you and what should we start talking about? What's our first item today? Well, I think our first item today, and I'm doing great, Jackson, thanks for asking and glad, good to see your face again, is that uh, we did not get together and decide what shirt to wear today. And these are not media insultant team shirts. We just, you know, by chance showed up with our uh, navy blues on. So there you go. Yeah, I think, I think you, well, I wanted to give you a quick update on Tribune publishing. You know, when we last spoke about Tribune, um, it was last week, there was a deadline of Friday, May 21st, for any other offers to be presented to the uh, shareholders. And nothing came in. Uh, and so the shareholders voted on Friday the 21st to approve the uh, takeover by Alden uh, at about 600 and, uh, I don't know, 633 million, 635 million thereabouts, a lot of millions, and it got approved. Well, it turns out that today, I'm sorry, today the news comes that yesterday Alden closed on the deal. It wasn't supposed to close until the end of June, but they closed in two days. They were ready to go. These guys mean business. So they now own Tribune, and the deal is closed. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, what Alden does, uh, either right away or in the short term here over the next few weeks in terms of uh, uh, of who they bring in, because Terry Jimenez, the uh, prior CEO, the, the CEO last week of Tribune, is now the former CEO of Tribune, and he got $1.7 million in stock, and stock and other things to walk away uh, with and uh, they also did the same. They gave they gave payouts to the CFO and other key executives. So I don't even know who's left at Tribune after yesterday. So I'll report on that uh, next week. But I'm just hoping that my friends at the Hartford Current and at the uh, Morning Call in Allentown hang in there and survive and uh, come out of this uh, in better shape than they were before. So fingers crossed. So we beat up on uh, Tribune and this whole deal and wonder why anyone would want to buy it. Well, they posted Q1 figures the other day. They actually made a little money. They made about $27 million. But for this whole group of newspapers, Chicago, Baltimore, you know, on and on and on, you know the market, it's even better than I do. They only had $173 million in quarterly revenue. You know, the interesting multiple is it looks like about a six-time multiple, assuming that uh, they hold those yeah. margins they pay about six six point one times cash flow, which isn't a bad deal if they can hold up the revenue stream. Right. And that's the question: Can they, with ad revenues declining, what can they keep the revenue coming? Well, they can keep the revenue coming. They're not going to be able to keep the revenue coming in as it has, um, you know, uh, over the last you know two decades. But you know, we're seeing newspaper ad revenues across the industry decline in double digits 
and typically between 15 and 20 percent annually over the last decade. So, you know, this is a this is a shrinking category. The indications for spending for the rest of this year and on into 2022, they seem to be following that same trend of you know minus minus 10, minus 15, sometimes minus 20. So it's a it's it's a declining category. And so you know, I'll be interested to see if if because uh, Alden now is the second largest owner of newspapers in the United States behind Gannett. It'll be interesting to see if they can use this uh, expanded platform, this national footprint now, to to drive national revenue, uh, find ways to get more regional revenue, and you know, and hopefully find even more local revenue, but compete a little bit better than they were able to as a smaller group. This is kind of like paralleling television, where you have you know these groups that had seven or eight radio uh, television stations that now have you know, 60 or 120 or whatever. Now that's the same thing in the, in the newspaper business. You've got, uh, you've got, you've got, you know, Alden and, and all of their papers, you've got uh, Gannett, uh, and then you've got a couple of other handfuls of, uh, of other owners, but you know, they're people, are, they, they got a good deal. I think $633 million. I can see why the shareholders approved it because, you know, it's not getting any prettier in print. Well, there's also the theory that uh, they call ice cube, you know, in other words, the model is you don't care what the value of the asset is worth in 10 years. It's going to slowly melt. But if in that 10 years while it's melting, you can create enough cash flow out of it, you don't really care what the value of the asset is at the end of the day. And I think you could argue that there's uh, some medium or some investment that makes sense in any media, radio, television, print, on that kind of ice cube theory that you're going to have flat or slightly declining revenue, but with consolidation and automation and things like that, you can make some good cash while you, while you've got it. All right. So let's talk about radio a little bit. Ed Stoltz, he files again. The guy is always suing just briefly. He had three radio stations, didn't pay the music rights companies. They bankrupted him in an involuntary bankruptcy. And he now says the receivership has been satisfied because he paid for the amount of money that he owed the music rights companies. But the, so far, he has lost control of his three radio stations, and he says that should be reversed. What's the latest news on that this morning? Well, I haven't heard anything since yesterday. So, you know, heaven forbid uh, that something else happened and I didn't catch it this morning. But, uh, uh, you know, I think that, you know, he, he promises to pay the other uh, debts that he has uh, that came out in this process. You know, we didn't know about all the tower rental money that he owes on top of the music rights fees that he hadn't paid some, some since the 80s. But now he's got all these that, you know, he's got these tower rentals, particularly in San Francisco, that he that he owes 300, over $300,000 that they've never been paid. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you know, what are we going to do about all that? And he says, oh, no, I'll pay that out of the operation of my radio stations. You know, yeah, just like you did with the music rights. Uh-huh. So, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't know what the judge is going to say about all that. I think this could go either way. I think the, uh, the Ninth Circuit kind of threw him a life preserver and uh, said that they should just pay, just pay off the rights fees and get that cleared up. And now the, the uh, judge here in uh, Riverside is going to have to figure out what to do with the rest. Do you well, have news that I don't? No, I, I I truly don't. I it is it is one of the biggest clusters I've ever seen, and I just am reminded that he's always going to be litigating. It will not matter what the final determination is, as Entercom learned when they sold when they bought a station from him in Sacramento. He sued them for years to try and regain the yeah. that radio station. So my takeaway, 
These kinds of clients are people you should avoid at any cost. I don't care who it is or what the deal is or how much money they've got. You know, it's just, it's not worth the energy. They're illogical. They're unethical. They have absolutely no idea of why anything doesn't revolve around them. They're so narcissistic to the max that they will continue to be a pain in your butt indefinitely. Don't do the deal. Run Don't away do as fast as you can. <laughs> right, right. So iHeart does this, excuse me, not iHeart, Cumulus does this really weird deal in New York of converting one of their AM stations. It's a suburban station. It's in White Plains outside of New York. They convert it to all digital. Now, the advantage of all digital is it sounds great, sounds a lot better. It really does sound good. The coverage area is substantially enhanced because it's not interfered with as much by analog noise, garage door openers, computers, that kind of thing. So they flip the station, WFAS, in White Plains to News Talk. To News Talk, to take advantage of the fidelity of digital? Seriously? You know, Rush Limbaugh sounds about the same no matter what the fidelity is. So my question is, why would they do this? Why, of all the formats they could do, why would they do an all-talk or News Talk format? Uh, to clear product off of Westwood One that they need clearance for in New York? Maybe, you know, yeah, uh, yeah that's probably why. Um, I think know, they, so too. They've got, they've got some coverage holes probably on some shows. And so we put it all on this one and really doesn't affect anything else we're doing on our FMs or our other AMs. And so, yeah, let's just, let's just do that. Is there, is there some other benefit of, of giving up your AM signal? I mean, the AM signal now goes silent, right? Yes, they it's all digital. That you can hear some of the did some of the digital radios in in new cars have an AM section that is automatically digital, but that's about the only people who can really pick it up. Or if you go to the store, which I'm sure you do, and buy digital radio all the time. I mean, we're always buying digital radios around here. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think so. So the thing that I find that's interesting is if they really were serious about digital on AM. You don't create any excitement with an old format. I mean, if you think about FM, FM only began to grow when alternative formats came on FM. Underground, you know, we called it underground at the time, became AAA. You know, rock formats, classic hits, classic rock, all of those were formats that on FM developed very nicely. So I, I think that if they're serious about developing digital AM, this isn't the format to do it. <laughs> well, they were serious about having market clearance for some shows that they needed to clear. And that's so. what was important. That's the near-term goal. Yep. Byron Allen is suing McDonald's. And he isn't suing them because they spilled hot coffee in his lap. They're suing him because he wants a minimum amount of money spent with not minority formatted stations, but minority, specifically African-American stations, uh, ownership by African-Americans. So he's suing McDonald's for $10 billion, which sounds like a good figure. You know, you can settle for 10% and do pretty well. But what's his deal? Why would he, why would he want to alienate one of the biggest national advertisers in the country? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, well, it worked with GM. So he got Mary, Mary Barra to commit. Um, and so he backed up the lawsuit with a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal and might have been in other major newspapers as well. 
that his company paid for and signed, quote unquote, signed by, you know, other uh, black owners of black media, uh, print and some, uh, you know, video content and and so forth. So, you know, but Byron's driving this 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 effort. And, you know, it, it's it's it just seems weird to me that you'd that this is the best approach that let's really, really get in these CEOs faces and embarrass the heck out of them, you know, probably piss them off and, and get the money. And these are you're supposed to be partners with this. So now everybody in the buying chain for uh, for McDonald's is going to be pissed because you know you got to you got to give Byron and you got to buy you got to buy black media ten percent you know or whatever the number is going to be, and we'll go from there. What's interesting to me is is that um, most of the money that McDonald's spends, I know they spend a lot of money network on network television. None of the people that he's listed in this in this ad or part of this this process have a network. He's got the Weather Channel, so that counts kind of as a national buy. But most of the ad dollars are either network or regional. In other words, if you're an LA media property, you don't get your media dollars from McDonald's from the agency in Chicago. You know the uh, big network agency, the agency of record. You get it from a regional agency that that handles the budget for all of the LA metro area McDonald's franchisees. So, you know, I guess what he's hoping is that not only will he get the big buys from Chicago, but he'll also get, you know, uh, the the trickle down, which is they'll push down the decision to buy, you know, to buy black owned media regionally and locally. And frankly, in LA, that's about two radio stations and and uh, and a couple of you know print products that target the black audience. So, you know, you can't. There's ten. Uh, it's not enough. You know, there's not. That's not that much. So you know, it's gonna. I, I, it's just. He's just gonna. He's gonna get get the money. He's gonna get these people to to pay up, and no one's gonna like it. You know, that's what's so. That's what's so amazing about it. In the end, no one's gonna say. You know, hey, we were gonna do that anyway, or we wanted to do that. We were doing our best to do that. And Byron's going. Sorry. No, just give us the money. And it's He's like- also really screwed up, I think. Strate- strategically, he's screwed up because each of those agencies that are regional agencies have ad budgets created by and directed to some degree by the McDonald's franchisees in that area. Right. So we all have worked with franchisees and we know what that's like, you know, herding cats. So now you come to them with a dictate like this. And they they are going to be pissed. And it yes. isn't even that they don't want to spend the money in terms of, of supporting black media or minority media, but they aren't going to want to be told. They already don't like to be told by McDonald's what to do. So yeah. I don't think strategically. Now they got Byron telling him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think he's he's picked the right. Don't think he's picked the right horse in this race. I really don't. So real quickly, one other quickie, uh, looks like Odyssey is figuring out how to double up management in major markets. What's going on in San Francisco? Well, yeah, well, this week um, uh, came the news that, uh, um, the surprising news that Stacey Kaufman, who's Odyssey's general manager, market manager in Sacramento, was was named or got added (laughs) to her job description responsibility over San Francisco. So she's now the market manager over San Francisco and Sacramento. And um, and so and now the DOS in San Francisco is taking over like overall DOS job for San Francisco and Sacramento. So it's you know it's like okay everybody's kind of doubling up. 
you know, you look you look around on at Odyssey, and it's the same case in L.A. They have Jeff Fetterman over uh, L.A., San Diego, and I think Riverside. You have uh, Rachel Williamson in Chicago, who also has Madison and uh, Milwaukee. Um, you know, it's kind of a gr- growing trend to see, you know, where you have this major market and you have these neighboring markets or two or three that, you know, we really don't need to put a high-priced market manager there. It's a day's drive, you know, or it's a half-day drive, or it's a short flight. I mean, why do we need more high-priced market managers? Let's just have them double up on this. So, you know, they end up saving some salary because they're not going to pay Stacy what, you know, uh, what Greg Nemitz was making, plus what she was making in Sacramento. There's going to be some modification. She'll get a nice raise, I'm sure. But they'll, you know, she's not getting the whole deal. And it was probably the same for Fetterman. And uh, so it's interesting to see uh, if this, you know, how Odyssey's strategy plays out, you know, throughout the country and see if that's, uh, you know, something they're going to do in more places. Well, I think it comes down to, and we can make another show about that, is uh, what, do, what, do, what is the responsibility for a GM these days, particularly mm-hmm. with the reduced staffs, with reduced roles in programming, in HR, in engineering? What is a GM's role? So we can talk about that, but I think that's one of the things we're seeing with this is Odyssey is redefining what that GM role is. So yeah, and 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 how to how to run radio stations. Obviously, they and I heart and you know trying to figure this all out in uh, you know uh, in Chicago where they have Rachel and her three markets. You know, they were a couple of years ago they had forty salespeople. They're down to twenty two. Right. You know, their, right. their sales staff's been cut in half. So it's not only what does a market manager do, it's what does a sales manager do, and what does a salesperson do, and 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 you know what, how how long are we going to need all those? So, yeah, it's uh, interesting times out there, and, and you know, funny observations. Um, so congratulations, Stacy, on getting that big promotion, and now you got twice the work and not twice the pay. So you know, good luck. <laughs> Well, I think the Indy 500 is coming up this weekend, and I, I know that you're excited about the Miller Lite carb qualifying time trials that occur, I think, tomorrow on Friday. I'm not sure if the reference is to carbohydrates or carburetors, <laughs> but it's still the Miller Lite carb qualifying time trials. So, whatever. But it is <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody has a great one. Uh, we will be back Tuesday. And on Tuesday, one of the features we've developed is great examples of bad management. Those are always fun. So tune in on Tuesday. Keith, where can they find Media Consultant? Well, they can find Media Consultant anywhere. Uh, audio podcasts are available. I mean, anywhere in terms of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Apple, Audible, Stitcher. Google, tune in. You know, we're just about go. everywhere. Yeah, anywhere you want to go or you typically go to find a podcast, just search for Media Insultant and you'll find us there. And also, of course, if you want to see our smiling faces, you know, go to our YouTube channel at Media Insultant and check us out there. So, you know, we're everywhere. You can't avoid us. And Jackson, I will say this. One of the greatest moments of my life was going to the Indianapolis 500. You know, if you've never been, you've got to go. It's a bucket list sporting event. It is the greatest spectacle in racing. It is unbelievable. 300,000 people in that oval in Indianapolis. There isn't a, a, a there isn't a live chicken within three states because everything is in a box lunch in that in, in the Indianapolis 500 Motor Speedway. So it's a great event. Yes, I'll be watching. I'll watch the time trials. I'll definitely watch the race. By the way, you can get up early 
and watch the other great spectacle in racing, and that is the Formula One race, the Monaco Grand Prix. So it's a great day of motor racing, and uh, wish everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend. And me too. Everybody have a happy Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you Tuesday. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Jackson. All the best, buddy.